Tonight I want to talk about His return, second coming of Christ. And I want to use the text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. He's really just uh, repeating what the angel told him, or told the disciples, and they told him, or whatever. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us. If you have a King James, it's the word appointed. God has not appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that wherever we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. I overheard two elderly ladies talking in a booth behind me at a restaurant not long ago. Now, I'm not in the habit of eavesdropping, especially elderly ladies' conversation. Most of the time I've observed that that's usually about grandkids or arthritis, so I, wasn't, I really wasn't uh, uh, eavesdropping, but I did hear them talking about uh, this, in this conversation about the condition of the world and their concern about it. So I, I kind of tuned in there. And one of them said this, kind of tusk, tusk, what is this world coming to? And I wanted to turn around and say, the issue is not what the world is coming to. The issue is what is coming to the world. For if a person focuses upon what the world is coming to, he will get discouraged without, you know, right away. But if he focuses on what is coming to the world, he'll get excited. Most of the time we put our energy on the condition of the world and what it's coming to, to try to effect change. And we have little results. And if we put our energy and our focus upon declaring what is coming to the world, that will effect change, believe me. Now there are two uh, phrases that are predominant in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, it is the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it is the day of Christ. Strangely enough, you may not have ever noticed that, but it's true. Now these two phrases are two separate emphases of the same thing. And they occur at the same time. When the New Testament refers to the day of Christ, 
It refers to the day when the Christians will be rewarded, when the Lord returns and there is reward for the saints of God, when the bottom line is drawn, all the dividends are brought in of all the good that we've done, even after we've died, and that, emphasis, that, that good goes on and on, that influence continues. The day of Christ, the bottom line will be drawn, and the people of God will be rewarded. But the day of the Lord is totally different from that. It is a day of judgment. It's a day of gloominess and darkness and doom. Now I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, and I want us to get a reference to the day of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, I'm reading verse 9. You'll need to really get with it now to find these, so it won't take that much long. Philippians 1, 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in the order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And verses 14 and 16 of chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove, to be, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Now, the, there, are other phrase, there are other times when that's found, but wherever it's found, the day of Christ, remember this, jot this down, remember this. It refers to the day when believers will be rewarded at the return of the Lord. And there is this amassing of this reward that comes to the saints of God, the day of Christ. The day of the Lord is totally different. Now, I'm going to help you find the book of Zephaniah. Okay, so get to the middle of the Bible, get to the book of, of Matthew and start to the Old Testament, work into the left. And you're going to get Malachi and you'll get Zechariah and then you get Zephaniah. Z-E-P-H-A-N-I-A-H. And I want to read verses 14 through 18 of Zephaniah chapter 1. Listen to this terrible sound. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly, listen to the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. You can read the rest. Keep working to the left. I want you to turn to the book of Joel. The prophet Joel, chapter 2. Just a little bit to the left of Zephaniah. I don't know how, we're, I don't know how you're going to read this without turning to that page. So, got to turn. Joel 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. 
and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be again after it to the years of many generations. The day of the Lord, the day of Christ. Now at the return of Jesus, for the saints there will be reward. To the lost it is a day of gloom and darkness and death, destruction. Two emphases happens on the same day simultaneously. Now it is not a 24-hour day, really. It's an extended period of time where the Lord does His work. And what God is saying in the pages of Scripture is this, that the devil is having his day, but the Lord is going to have his day. Now if it's not a 24-hour period of time, why does it refer to it as a day? Because it is an extended period of time that has the characteristics of a day. When does it begin? Begins at midnight at the darkest time. And it culminates at the dawn so that this day of the Lord begins in judgment and darkness and culminates in the dawn of His kingdom. Now when you look over here and back to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, when you read Thessalonians... In Paul's letter to this church, he's writing, first of all, to unbelievers because he's making reference to the day of the Lord, the day of judgment and darkness, etc. The day of the Lord. Now, there are three things that we need to understand about the day of the Lord. Number one, it is going to be a time of destruction. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. It is a day of destruction. It is a day of sudden destruction. The word come upon them is an is a, is a interesting word. It means it's already headed this way. Now, some of you who are, um, I'm always checked out on this by the, people who know something about physics, but those of you who know something about the speed of uh, the light from the farthest star traveling at 186,000 miles, appreciate it, per second, um, that, that, that light that is coming this way from that farthest star, you know, started a long time before you ever were. And that light is on its way. That's the idea. It's the idea that the day of the Lord is already so, it's such a reality, it's already on its way. And it comes suddenly. It's coming to, to stay. It's not a fleeting. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. By the way, when you get over to 1 Peter, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Just hold your place there, because we're going to come back to that in a minute. So let's put a little marker there. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. I've shared with you that 
you know, I'm not a person that gets all worked up about dreams. One night I dreamed that the end of the world has come, come, had come. Put a little terror in you folks down here that are kind of nonchalant about this, blasé. Uh, must have had a little extra pizza that night. But I had this dream, and I, 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 in this dream, I dream a world was coming to an end, and I remember distinctly that there was this sound like swoosh, like that. And uh, good thing you guys weren't up a little closer there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I, I woke up and I, I was, uh, I, no, uh, no small fear was upon me, say the least. About a year later, I had a man preach in my church by the name of Eddie Lieberman. Some of you have heard of Eddie Lieberman. He's a converted Jew. And I asked him to come and preach on the second coming that's in the book, as it's taught in the book of Second Peter. I'd heard about his, his uh, Bible teaching. And this guy was up there lecturing. He's a profoundly intelligent man. And he was up there preaching, and he came down to chapter 3, verse 10, and said, What that word in the Greek there for roar is, is this hissing sound, and he made the same hissing sound I just made. I mean, I'll tell you what, I came to attention. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a swoosh, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The word heat there, there's some gr brilliant Greek words here to study, is a word meaning fever, and it means internal heat. And I was asking Lewis tonight, does he believe that there is a core of fire in the earth? And he said he didn't believe there's a core of fire in the earth, but he believed that there was a core of heat in the earth. And the idea is that in this day, the great day of the Lord, this, this creation, this earth that we know, will literally be consumed from within, this internal heat. Now, he's not talking about destruction of existence. Existence will not be destroyed, but essence will be destroyed. Now, follow me carefully. He, it will not be the destruction of being. It will be the destruction of well-being. And what he's saying is that that which to us makes life enjoyable will literally be consumed in fire, in heat. And the day of the Lord... So here is this man, who, this unbeliever, this person who lives his life apart from God and he builds his empire, his life upon things that are literally melt in the heat. Literally melt in the heat. Notice two things about it. It's going to be inevitable. Like the birth pangs of a child, he said. There comes a moment in, that in the nature of childbirth when that child's going to be born. A friend of mine was, a um, dear friend of ours, was a, ran a, uh, a garage and a tire shop out in a little country town called Halfway. A uh, little anecdote here. How would you like to be called Halfway Baptist? That's what, you know. <laughs> 
And uh, he had a little uh, garage and tire store. It was halfway between Olton and Plainview, Texas. That's why they named this little community Halfway. He said one, one Saturday afternoon he was closing up and he lived right near this little place, little, little shop. He, his house was right behind. He said, I was getting ready to go to the house. And he said, this car came roaring into my driveway. And he said, there was this little Spanish, Hispanic girl in the back seat and her husband was trying to get to Plainview and they were going to have a baby. And he said, bro, man, he said, they said, get, get some help. My wife's delivering a baby. And I said, well, what did you do? He said, I went to the house and got my wife. He said, I got out of there. That's what I did. And he said, my wife came over there and said, believe it or not, Gerald, she delivered that baby in the backseat of the car in a driveway of my garage. Twenty miles on down to Plainview, when the time came for the child to be born, the child was born. I mean, it, wasn't, it was inevitable. Hear me now, when it's time, it's time. And that's inevitable. And not only is it inevitable, says the, the text, back to the text, it is inescapable. So he said that those who are not prepared for the coming of the Lord, it is inevitable that He's coming in suddenness. And when He comes, this great day of judgment is inevitable, and they shall by no means escape it. Wow, what a word. It's a time of destruction. Second, it's a time of deception. Now I want you to read with me verses 2 and 3 again. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying, Peace and safety. While they are saying, Peace and safety, that's when He comes. Now I want to say two things about this. First of all, why is it that, you know, why is it that we have this, um, that people are going around, you know, saying peace and safety, it never happened, not going to happen. Number one is because they listen to false teachers. They listen to false teachers. And these false teachers are saying all the time, don't worry about it, it's not going to happen. You, did you know that I could not preach this sermon in a majority of churches in America because it's not believed by most people, believe it or not, that Jesus is coming back visibly, victoriously, personally. Well, you say, well, how do they get around this? Well, let me tell you how they get around it. They say when he talks about, when he talks about this, he's talking about either Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to the earth or he's talking about death when he comes back for us in death. But he's not, some say, not coming visibly, personally, and uh, in the way he left. False teachers... The second reason is, is because we have been lulled into a sense of false security. Now I want you to turn back to that first, um, to Second Peter one more time, and we'll look at chapter 3 again. I want to show you something. We're going, we're going to go all the way back to verse 3 of chapter 3, and look at that, and go down to verse 10. Follow me closely. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. Now here's 
point, here's reason number one people do not believe that Jesus coming back is because they enjoy their lustful life and they don't want to be disturbed. They don't want to be disturbed. If I can live in denial, Well, that'll take a lot of fun out of, you know, out of a New Year's party. Uh, as long as I can deny that, that He's coming, I can, have a, I can enjoy what I'm doing, right? Second, look at this, follow this. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this... It escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of, out of water and by water. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice. Now, now, literally in the Greek it suggests this. They are unwillingly aware of Scripture. That is... They are willfully ignorant of Scripture. They refuse to believe it. They, don't, they choose not to believe it. They deliberately ignore the truth of it. They shut their eyes to the fact of it. Now, skip to verse 16. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort. It means literally to twist a screw. And it's the idea of breaking somebody on the rack, a perversion of Scripture. Now this is why folks live without any regard to the second coming. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to be disturbed. They willfully choose to ignore the scriptural teaching of it. And when they're confronted with it, they twist the Scripture to say something it doesn't say. The time of deception comes like a thief. I'm sure the thief that's coming after, you know, going to break in your house next week. I have a feeling he's going to call you up sometime this week and say, Hey, Fred, hey, Jim, I'm coming over and rob your house Monday night while you're gone to the movie. I just want to let you know that. He's going to send you a letter. And in this letter, he's going to say, Hey, I just need to inform you that I'm a thief. And I'm going to need some money for dope. And I've, I've uh, uh, kind of uh, staked out your place. And I know you go to church on Sunday night. Thanks a lot for putting that word out. Uh, uh, while you're at church next Sunday night, let me let you know I'm going to break in your house and steal your microwave. I'm sure he's going to do that. And so while we're in this security, false security, let me tell you something. He's coming back. One last thought. It's a time of deliverance. Now I need to read back to the text now in 1 Thessalonians verses 4 and verse 9. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. If you're taking notes, 
There needs to be placed in your notes the certainty of our deliverance. You're not in darkness. That day is a day of darkness, and you're not appointed to that. You're not, he says, you're not a part of that. Verse uh, 9. For God has not destined you for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying is, is that it's already been decided what's going to happen to you when he comes back, if you're a believer. You're not, a, you're not appointed to the day of darkness, to the judgment of God. You've already been judged. He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. That judgment's already occurred. You already... Be- destined for the, for, the, for the light. You've already been destined for the day of Christ. If you're a believer, this is not for you. And here's his guarantee of this, he's saying. Notice, secondly, the challenge of our deliverance. Verses 6 through 8. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, etc. But since we are of the day, let us... Be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, if you've been kind of daydreaming, I want you to zero in on this, because now the application comes to you and me. It's time for us to wake up. The alarm is ringing. If you've got an employer that's lost, friend, you need to do something about it quick. If you've got family members that are not in the ark, folks, you better do something in a hurry. The clock is ticking down. If you've got children that are not saved and they reach the age of accountability, you better not sleep tonight till you tell them about Jesus. And some of us are sleeping through the, through the, through the hours. We better open our eyes. We've got loved ones live a hundred miles from here or ten thousand miles from here. You better get contact with that loved one and warn him. Time to wake up, sleeping church. Because one of these days, somehow, and I don't understand it, we're going to be held accountable for the fact that we've slept while people die without Christ. Second, he said, be sober. Now, he's not talking to people that are drunk, you know, accustomed to getting drunk. Let me show you what he's talking about. When a person gets drunk, he's controlled something outside of himself. And this is what he's saying. He said, we're not to be under the influence or under the domination or the control of anything outside the Word of God. Now, I need to say something here about some of this stuff that goes on that is outside the authority of God's Word. The only thing that is our authority is the Word of God, not some experience. And you don't test the Word of God by your experience. You test your experience by the Word of God. And there is no higher revelation than that Word. Somebody comes knocking on your door and tells you that he's had an experience that, that, is, that supersedes the Word of God and he's had something happen to him that's not even in the Bible. You tell him, go on down the road because there's nothing to it. 
Now, if there ever was a time when the people of God need to be influenced only by the Word of God, it's in the end time. That's the truth. Well, I can get a little worked up over that, but it's, work, it's something to get worked up about. And it ought to be that you ought to get a little worked up in it on, uh, about it yourself. What does the Scripture say? That's, what I, that's going to be authority of my life. And then he says, be armed. And this is such a powerful thought here. He said, put on the breastplate of faith and love. Now, the breastplate of faith relates, the breastplate, of course, if you know any of the metaphor of Ephesians, relates to that part of the armor that rests above the heart. Above the heart. And the breastplate of faith is a reference to man's heart for God. And the breastplate of love is a reference to man's heart for man. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that we need to put on this breastplate of, a, of love for God. Somehow we need to fall in love with Him. And we need to adopt a lifestyle that is repentant in its nature so that it has the ability to sense what breaks His heart. That's what he's talking about. Corey Ten Boom says it like this, that, a person who has a heart for God has developed the habit of telling the Lord his sins five minutes before the deceiver does. I love it. It's this heart for God that just, that just yearns to, to be right with God. Now let me tell you something. If you knew the Lord was coming back at 10 o'clock tonight, let me tell you what some, you know, those of you who you know, have the intelligence of a rock might not do this, but, but everybody else of us would be getting right with God, I promise you. And all that stuff that's in our heart, we'd be getting right with God. And there is this putting on the breastplate of love as it relates to, to others, which means that if I have anything wrong between me and my fellow man... In light of the imminent return of the Lord, I need to get that right. And then he said, put on the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. And the literal translation of that is to live in the expectancy of the salvation that Jesus is going to bring. Now, I'm going to have to confess that I'm no different. But the people I hear talk about the... Uh, uh, possible return of the Lord, talk about it in fear. Now, not long ago, some guy over here in Arkansas who knows more than Jesus knows came out with this little book in which he um, forecast and dated the exact day the Lord was coming back. And that little book started going around and it was a hotter than pancakes. Boy, everybody was reading that thing. I'm going to tell you, I, I started getting these calls and these visits of these uh, folks who are literally terrified at the thought that that might come true. You know, isn't that right? And all of a sudden, we get this problem going over, on over there in Iraq, and everybody starts finding Hussein somewhere in Scripture. And start feeling like that, that the, 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 the second coming is imminent. 
and everybody gets all fearful. And I'm not, I'm going to have to confess that there's not much difference between the pulpit and the pew at that point. Let me ask you something. If we have on the hope, the helmet, which is the hope of salvation, why are we afraid? It's the living in the expectancy of the salvation He's coming to bring. Get us out of this mess. And uh, that's the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. Let's pray together. Dear God, there is a relevancy to this message like no other message. Help us to do something about it that will please you, for I pray in Jesus' name. There might be somebody here tonight who has yet placed his faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus splits the sky with his return, the day of the Lord begins for you. And if I know the scripture halfway, I'd, I'd, I'd urge you, if you're not ready for that day, that night, you, you need to do, you need to get ready. The way you get ready is to claim Jesus as your Savior and Deliverer and, and trust Him and Him alone to be your Savior. Take you right up out of this troubled world to His heaven. There may be some of you tonight who... Um, in light of that responsibility that is ours in the interim, failed. Or you might need to get some things right with regard to church membership or whatever in light of this day of Christ. Would you do it while we stand and sing? We'll wait two stanzas and we're through. Come on.